And hello, everyone. Welcome back to the Word Alive broadcast, and I'm Mike Dobbs. And uh, first of all, let me say thank you to all of you supporters, all of you that are watching, uh, and all of you that are supporting monthly. We've had uh, several new supporters that have uh, signed on, and we can't thank you enough for making it possible. Uh, and all that you do support and give, we are going to be using for this broadcast. So thank you so much. I hope that uh, we're saying something that will benefit you. And if so, if you'd be sure to like us and and also subscribe, then every time we put on a new video, it'll let you know the new video is ready. Well, we're going back to the book of Genesis, and we are doing verse-by-verse commentary. And we left off at verse number six of chapter one. So we're really just getting into this Genesis thing, into the creation. And uh, as we study, we find that Elohim, is, as he is called here, uh, God, which is the plurality of of power, not the plurality of persons. Uh, the the Hebrews in the Hebrew language have so much respect for God that they speak of him in a plural sense because of his majesty and power and not because he is more than one person. And as we study verse 6, the Bible says, And God said, Let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters, and let it divide the waters from the waters. Now the word firmament there in the Hebrew, there's our new key word, is rakia, and it simply means an expanse or uh, a foundational ground or uh, the visible arch of the sky. So what is happening here is we're seeing a lot of dividing going on here, and the word uh, to divide is like a bisection. It's the word uh, talvik, which means to sever in the Hebrew. And he says, let there be a firmament in the midst of the waters and let it divide the waters from the waters. So now as God begins to speak, the entire globe has been covered with water. And now he begins to speak. And as he does, there is a continent that begins to emerge. Now, I don't believe that when God spoke the firmament into being that there were seven continents that came out of the water that were separated because as we look at mankind and his uh, be- the beginnings of mankind and his civilization and as he begins to progress across the, the continent, uh, it would begin to show us probably that there was one continent. So I do believe in the theory of Pangea. I don't believe it was 300 million years ago. I think it was probably occurring during the global flood that took place in Noah's day. And we'll even talk about that later uh, at the time when God divides their languages. So as we look at this, the Pangea, or uh, it comes from two Greek words, pan meaning all or uh, entire or whole. And uh, Jaya actually comes from Gaia, which is the Greek word for the earth. So it was basically all of the earth coming together in one continent. So when God said, let there be waters divided from waters, basically this new continent comes up and there'll be several changes that'll take place. But the first, the first creation would be one firmament coming out of the midst of the waters. And of course, Pangea was very, very large. Later on, it'll divide and you'll have Rodinia. Uh, but at this point, we're talking about one firmament. And so God calls the firmament out of the water and divides the water from the waters. And also, it is the waters from above and the waters below that we're going to also see him talk about. And that would be atmospheric moisture as compared to water moisture that is on the earth and in the form of the sea. You know, this is day two. And every number in the 
Hebrew language has a letter. There are no numbers. So Aleph means one. It also means supreme being. It also means divine chieftain. So you can't separate God from one because even the number one in the Hebrew refers to God himself. And Bet actually refers, or Beth, refers to a house or a dwelling place, like Bethlehem, which is the Hebrew word for Bethlehem, which means house of bread, or Bethsaida, which is house of fish, or Bethesda, which is house of mercy. So Bet is the letter and the number two, but it also means a dwelling place. And God is beginning to build a dwelling place for all of his animals, plants, and trees, and also, finally, the masterpiece creation, which is man uh, and also woman. So it is interesting that in day two, he creates Bet. He creates the second, the second day, the place where they will live, the dwelling place. And nothing that God does is, of course, accidental. And in the original Hebrew, uh, if you exegete that verse back to the original language, and exegete just means to crack the nut and get the meat out. It means to go back to the original language, and we'll be doing a lot of exegeting when we're teaching here verse by verse. It says, uh, be in the midst of the waters and separate waters from waters. So that's exactly what God did. He brought the rakia out of the mayim, which mayim is the word for, for waters in Hebrew, and he divided them, or he talsek. He tovek, which means to sever or bisection the waters from the earth and the waters from each side of the firmament. And then in verse 7, the Bible says, And God made the firmament and divided the waters which were under the firmament from the waters which were above the firmament, and it was so. So the next thing that God does is that he decides to divide waters that are on the earth, which we just talked about, physical water that we would know water, uh, that we're going to call seas later on, and waters that are above. Now, in understanding this, there was a very heavy moisture atmosphere in the earth at this time, and it will remain until the time of Noah. Now, as far as we can understand, when Noah began to tell the world it was going to rain, that was something they had never seen. So because there had never been rain, because the earth was like a terrarium. If you've ever seen a terrarium, I remember one time uh, my grandmother had a, a very large terrarium and it used to really intrigue me because all of the plants that were inside the terrarium would have water vapor dripping off their leaves onto the soil and, and uh, there would be mushrooms and things growing in the very damp soil and moss because it stayed so damp all the time and yet she never watered it because what would happen is the humidity inside the terrarium would become so increased that it would precipitate out as in the form of dew and the dew would water all of the plants inside the terrarium. So it was absolutely a closed environment. And when God created the earth, he created it perfect. He created it balanced. He created it just the way he wanted. That's why he said it was good. And so if you can imagine the earth being a terrarium, it has such a dense atmosphere that there's no need for rain because it would hold the humidity under the earth, to the, uh, under the, the atmosphere, over the earth, to the point that at night, when there was a drastic change in temperature, it would form a very heavy dew, and the dew would form on the leaves and drip off the leaves into the ground, watering the plants, and there was no need for heavy rain, which of course brings destruction, erosion, etc. 
And so God had everything so perfectly balanced. The ecosystem was so perfectly balanced that everything supported itself and everything was made the way God wanted it to be. And it self-supported itself by watering itself in the difference of the the changing of temperature and the moisture that would form on the leaves. And so God divided the firmament that was above, which is the very dense atmosphere that we will call vapor, and he divided vapor from water. He divided atmosphere, the water in the atmosphere, from the water that was on the earth. Now, later on, that water will precipitate out as part of the great flood. And that is why, with the combination of heavy, heavy rain coming out of an atmosphere that is laden with water, but it never rains, so it's just there in suspension. And then, of course, the fountains of the deep breaking up, which is the waters beneath the earth that are bursting forth in springs and fountains uh, merging up would create tsunamis of the existing water that was there. And so you had the combination of rain, uh, existing tsunamis that are created by earthquakes, uh, with the, teuton- the tectonic plates pulling apart, and the, the, the very severe things that are happening beneath the surface that causes major tsunamis that cover the globe with water, walls, large, high walls of water that would completely surround the earth, and therefore it would inundate the earth to the point that even the mountains would be underwater. Now, that sounds like a fairy tale to some people, but we have proof that it happened all across the globe, and we're getting way ahead of our story uh, because that is going to be discussed at a later date. But I want you to understand that this heavy atmosphere is laden with water, but it doesn't rain. What it also does as a benefit is because it is so thick, it cuts out the infrared rays, the ultraviolet rays that would penetrate today and age man and age things, age animals. And so, Uh, Because of that, man's lifespan, when he is created, is going to be much longer during that time than it is after the flood when that vapor barrier is gone. So when God created the world, it was a utopia. It was perfect. It was balanced. It was beautiful. It, It all worked so well together because he's the master designer. And that is why it is impossible for any person uh, to imagine that this just happened, that all of this just came into perfect order because I don't know anything that comes into perfect order by itself. There has to be some motivation, some stimulus, and someone behind it all to make that happen. And so the someone behind all this is the great God Almighty, creator of the universe. And he divides the firmament above from the firmament below. And when he does that, he says it is good. Uh, It was done the way he wanted it. And so uh, in another translation, it says the expanse that was below from the expanse that was above. And uh, when you look at this, you're gonna see later on when he talks about the birds that flew in the heavens, uh, it gives understanding to the Hebrew understanding of the three heavens. You have the, the atmosphere that is around the earth is the first heaven, and then the cosmos with all of the planets and the universe is the second heaven, and then your third heaven would be heaven that we call heaven when we talk about the abode of the eternal uh, soul. And so uh, we're looking at three heavens here because the Bible talks about he created the earth and the heavens. He's not just talking about the heavens as, as what we call with all of the planets and stars, but he's talking about the atmosphere that was around, and this is what he does. It He divides the atmosphere from the waters below to the waters that are above, and firmament is sandwiched between the two. (laughs) 
In other words, firmament comes out of the waters that are below, and yet it is also covered by the waters that are above, and, and it is separated according to the perfect design and the plan of God. Then in verse 8, Bible, the Bible says, And God called firmament heaven, and the evening and the morning were the second day. So now he has created this atmosphere that he is calling heaven, but we will understand later it is the first heaven, as the Hebrews understand, and that is the atmosphere, the, the toposphere, all the way up to the place of space. And, and when this atmosphere was very dense and very thick, it extended farther into space because it was much thicker and much denser, and uh, therefore the earth was like a terrarium. Uh, and the moisture provided uh, by the dew was how everything was watered, and, and it was done very sufficiently. The word here in the Hebrew, heaven, is shamayim, and it simply means to be lofty, or the sky and the visible arch. There we are. Uh, for people that are teaching flat earth, I don't know how in the world they can do that. The Bible makes it very explicit that the earth is round and the visible arch of the sky shows you the roundness of the earth. And if you fly in an airplane, you see the roundness of the horizon. And so, you know, for people that think the earth is flat, I, I can't believe there's people actually believing that in this day and age, but there, it seems like it has resurrected and there are people actually promoting this uh, and, and so the Bible is explicit. You know, in Isaiah, the Bible says he sits upon the circle of the earth. Well, that right there, I mean, God knows. He created everything. So it's the visible arch in which the clouds move as well as the higher area or the ether of the celestial body. So he created the atmosphere and he also created space. Now, he has not filled space yet, but he has created space. He has to make space before he can put anything in it. So when he talks about the heavens, he's creating the first heaven, the atmosphere, the second heaven, which is where the planets and all are going to be. But they are not there yet. We do not have a sun. We do not have a moon. We do not have stars yet. That comes on the fourth day. And so God creates the firmament. And when he does, that's when he calls it the end of the second day. Verse 9, if you're reading along with me, And God said, Let the waters under the heaven be gathered together into one place, and let the dry land appear, and it was so. So here we are, the firmament of the land, as we have been talking about, the supercontinent called Pangea, comes out of the water. And now let's revise this or, or, or make a summary of this. We have the land that has, arised out of the, uh, has arisen out of the water. <laughs> and then we have the atmosphere that has been created around the earth. That's the waters that are above. And then when we get to space, there's no water there. There's no vapor there. We just have blank open space for as far as is imaginable, um, and God is going to fill that with uh, heavenly bodies and, and, and planets and moons and stars and galaxies and nebulas and all of that. So he creates the canvas first before he paints the picture. And to me, that is very significant. So the land comes out uh, of the water, and it is one continent, and that continent, of course, uh, is going to later on divide into many, but at this point, we see the continents as they form. Then we get to day three. Now, the, the Hebrew word for three is gimel, and it means a symbol of fellowship and clarity or charity and unity. It's uh, Three is the number for the divine plan of God, and this is his plan. So he has spoken light. 
He has spoken land out of the water. He has spoken moisture out of the out of the sea into the atmosphere, and he has created a blank canvas for what we will call space. Now God does not like void. In fact, if you notice, vacuum and void does not naturally occur in nature because God doesn't like it. He feels all things. That is his desire. That is the motivation behind God, to feel all things. You know, that's probably what motivated him to even spend time on this this orb that we call earth when he found it full of chaos and void and darkness. Well, void just defended him. And he said, you know what? I got to do something here. And I'm just going to make this place beautiful. And I'm going to create all these things. And I've got a master plan in my mind. And I'm just going to put it to work here. And the master creator went to work designing the earth in his intelligent design. And so day three, Gimel, symbol of fellowship, charity, which is love or love in action, and unity, the divine plan of God. And Elohim said, waters under the waters congregate in one place and the dry land will appear. Well, the dry land is where God is going to fellowship with man. He's going to fellowship with his animals and all of his creation, plant life, trees, etc. This is where his fellowship This is where the expression of his love is going to be. Now, I look into the stars, and as a believer of God, I see the stars as a symbol of his love. I see it it as a reminder of his greatness and his his, uh, limitless uh, power and authority. And then, of course, I look at the earth and I see the beauty that he has created. When I go to different places around the world and I see these vistas that are so beautiful, it just, I see God. I, I, I thank God. I give him praise right then and there because of the beauty. When I was in Australia, we went to the Blue Mountains. And I'm telling you, it's uninhabited. It goes on forever. It is amazing. It is raw because there's no settlements and and there's no cities. It's It's just this great wilderness of beautiful mountains covered with trees and waterfalls. And and at the entrance of it, when you go to the visitor center, there's this huge waterfall that drops down into the valley and there's these rocks and, and they have an incline that actually is one of the steepest inclines in the world. And you ride down that incline into the valley. It's very, very amazing. And uh, when you look at that and you see the beauty that is untouched by man, that is literally like it was 6,000 years ago when God started creating things, uh, you know, and, and man's been here 6,000 years. So if, if you believe in the thousand days, uh, a thousand years is one day, and, and some people tack on four more thousand years, then the earth is 10,000 years old and, and you have those that period of time. But whatever it is, it's not millions of years old. You know, that's what the evolutionists have to do to explain how great God is and that he can do things in such a short time. But when we look at the beauty of God's creation, it just expresses his love, his charity, his love in action, and his plan and his unity. When you look at how the ecosystem of the trees and the plants and, and all of those things come together in unity and in purpose, it shows an intentional God a God that had purpose and a God who has intent and he has design and he has an idea of productivity in mind. You know, my son and all, my son, when he was younger, he and I would watch uh, uh, a video series uh, that we would love to watch. David Attenborough was the one who would uh, be the uh, narrator. And he would tell about all of the interesting things 
uh, about the different insects and animals and, and trees and plants and how they work together in the ecosystem. And, you know, some are food and some are prey and some are predator and, and how all, everything just works together. And I don't see how anybody could look at the cycles of life and say, oh, it just, it just evolved. It just happened. You know, there's no way. Someone with great intent and great intelligence and and a thinking, an ability to think and conjure and, and to uh, design was the one who put all this together. And he is our God, the great God, the only God, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And he came later manifested in flesh as the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, to me, that is just an expression of his love. And it's no wonder that on the day three, he creates the land. And he says, this will be a place of fellowship. This will be a place where my charity will be distributed and demonstrated. And this is where the unity of purpose and the ecosystem and all of that will be so easily seen. Now, it's also in the sea later and in the, in the air with the birds. But, but it's so obvious here on the land where man will dwell and where the land animals will dwell. And in verse 10, and God called the dry land earth. And gathering together of the waters, he called seas, and God saw that it was good. Now, understand that God is telling Moses all of this, and Moses is writing this. Those 40 days that he's on the Mount Sinai with God, and the children of Israel looking up there, and all they're seeing is smoke and fire and, and earthquakes, and they're saying, you know what, Moses is a crispy critter. He's not coming back. Uh, this was times when God was showing his glory and he was showing Moses how he created all things. When the Bible said he hid him in the cleft of the rock and showed him his hinder parts, God had no reason to show him his backside and God is a spirit so he doesn't have one. So what was he talking about? He was showing him the past. He was showing him the history of how he created all things and how all things came to be. And that's why Moses comes down from the mountain and writes the book of Genesis. Who narrated or dictated this book? Very, very easily said, it was God. Who wrote it? Moses. But who dictated it? Just like the rest of scripture, just like the rest of the Holy Bible, God dictated it and man, many men from different ages wrote it. So Moses is writing what God told him and how he told him that he did all these things. So he calls the earth or the land earth. And in the Hebrew, that's eretz, which means to be firm or to be dry, a foundational ground uh, that you can build something on. That is what he calls it, eretz. And, and then he calls it, he gathered together the waters and he called that the yom, and yom, of course, means the sea, uh, to roar or to make a sound or to break in a noisy surf. That's what the Hebrew words for yom means. And it's uh, the large body of water, which, of course, we know the entire earth was covered with water. Now you have a continent, a very large continent, rising out of the water, and that is what he calls earth. That's what he calls land, and, uh, and it, because it is firm. And God said in verse 11, let the earth bring forth grass and herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit after his kind, whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. Now, this is such a mouthful because God is saying, okay, now let the land bring forth grass and herbs and trees and plants. And I believe that as he spoke it, they emerged from the ground, not as sprouts, 
but I believe full trees begin to emerge from the ground as aged trees, the first generation, so that they can actually bring forth immediately. And so here we have the concept of the old earth, okay? Uh, in other words, the earth, you know, for instance, let's look at it very clearly. God created Adam. Did he create Adam a baby, an infant? No, that would have been impossible because who's going to take care of him? Who's going to change his diapers? Who's going to feed him? Who's going to take care of him? Who's going to help put him to sleep? No. So he created a full-grown man. And I believe he, he created a full-grown earth. So the trees emerged. And, and not only, you know, just it's amazing to me, but I, but I believe it. The trees emerged and the, and the shrubs emerged and bloomed. And, and the, the grass grew out of the ground and just kept growing to its mature state. Everything came to maturity at once as God had spoken it, as if it had always been there. And it had been in the mind of God and in the mouth of God. But when he spoke it, word is like seed and seed went to the ground and the ground brought forth trees and herbs. But more than that, folks, think about this. The earth itself, the continent comes from the sea and, and probably part of it is volcanic and part of it is probably pumice and, and lava. But God covered it with topsoil and then he began to make the topsoil rich and fertile so it can support all of this life that is coming forth all at once. So the land comes forth, then the earth creates earth, and there's topsoil, and there's there's a very rich soil, and, and then the trees burst forth, and, and I could just see it as it sweeps across the continent, and trees just sprout up, and, and, and there's little, little bushes that sprout up, and flowers and grass, and all of a sudden the earth turns green, if you were in space looking at the earth, all of a sudden this void place that had just been covered with water just a few creation days ago now is a continent and now it is turning green before your very eyes as the word of God goes forth. The rabbis believe that the world was formed by the word. How powerful is the word of God that as he speaks his intent, his logos, it comes out of his mouth and it becomes physical and it begins to produce and God creates it all in its mature state and later he'll create man as a man and not a child why because it's not a young earth it is a mature earth it is the fullness of what God intended from his beginnings and that is why you say well it would take millions of years for that to happen no not when you've got a God that has all power and authority in his word and all he has to do is speak. And when he does, everything changes. And you know what? That hasn't changed today. God still speaks and everything changes. And so that's why I can believe. I've seen God speak in his authority and miracles take place. We've seen it in the Bible. So how is it so hard for us to believe that that's the way it was at the very beginning? And I hope you've enjoyed this because I've certainly enjoyed being with you. And we will continue in Genesis, the first chapter and verse by verse commentary in our next class. And we're doing everything we can to make the word come alive to you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Word Alive broadcast. If you enjoyed the video, please give it a thumbs up and consider subscribing to our channel. Once you've subscribed, make sure to click on the notification bell so that you'll be notified each time a new episode is released. If you'd like to support this ministry, you can do so by checking out our Patreon page and signing up for one of the provided monthly tiers. 
A link to our Patreon page can be found down in the description. God bless you, and we'll see you next time as we continue to make the Word come alive to you.